welcome to The Underworld, a true crime podcast. Underworld looks to uncover the most infamous, brutal, and notorious criminals and gangsters from around the world. Join us as we tell the stories from the underworld. The 28th of February 1997 began as another normal sunny Friday in Los Angeles, California. Laurel Canyon Boulevard in North Hollywood was just beginning to bustle with commuters, workers and shoppers starting their days. The day started like any other, but shortly after 9am, this would dramatically change. Two figures stood calmly outside the Bank of America, located at 6600 Laurel Canyon Boulevard, but they were not customers. They were heavily clad in armour and armed with illegally modified automatic and semi-automatic weapons. The events that followed would go down as one of the most intense gun battles in US police history. Larry Eugene Phillips Jr. was born on September the 20th, 1970 to Larry Phillips Sr. and Dorothy Clay. His father, Larry Sr., was a career criminal and had numerous encounters with the law throughout his life. In 1969, he escaped from Colorado State Hospital after being sent there the previous year. Aside from this, Phillips' family was apparently well-functioning and normal. Phillips Sr. took his son to shooting ranges, wrestling matches, and treks through the Rocky Mountains, where Phillips Sr. would tell Larry Jr. stories about the police and his dislike for them, perhaps paving the way for his son's future. Larry Jr. would drop out of school in 1983, just after the ninth grade, and decided to pursue a dream of becoming rich. He had an obsession with bodybuilding and aspirations to become the new Arnold Schwarzenegger. Eventually, he realized that becoming a Hollywood bodybuilder and action hero was unlikely, so started looking for other avenues where he could make his fortune. In 1990, he decided to try his hand at real estate sales and cashing on the boom in the property market. He applied for a real estate sales license, and it was granted on the condition that he passed an exam and would come up clean on the criminal background check. This was to be his undoing, as a fingerprint check matched him to an arrest the previous year in 1989, when he was arrested for shoplifting $400 worth of clothes, which at the time was his first and only arrest. Phillips Jr. was now down and out, with his bodybuilding dreams now gone and his real estate career taken away. He returned to Denver, Colorado with his wife and children and looked for alternative methods of making his fortune. In September 1992, Phillips began to formulate a scam, contacting local real estate agents claiming to be a potential buyer. Going by the name of Mark Wright, he was shown over 50 properties by various agents, running his scam on at least two of them. Most properties which were on the market had a lockbox which would contain the keys, allowing easy access for the estate agents. Phillips would carefully watch the agents unlock the box and memorize the combinations. He would then purchase the property and immediately sell it to another real estate company. He would advertise the property for rent, show prospective buyers around the property 
accessing the house with the keys he had stolen. He would then take a deposit or lease payment up front from the unsuspecting renter and pocket the money. This scheme was soon uncovered when a renter who had just signed and paid for the house ran into the actual owner of the property and was told it was definitely not up for rent. Phillips was arrested under his false identity, Mark Wright. During his incarceration, detectives traced the car he used during the scams back to his now deceased mother and discovered his real identity. He was held on a $1 million bail. Phillips' wife Sharon withdrew $10,000 and paid it to allow the bail amount to be decreased, releasing Phillips from jail. He fled before he could be sentenced for his crimes and suffered the same life as his father, living on the run from authorities. Emile Matasarano was born on the 19th of July 1966 in Timisoara, Romania. His father, Vriwel, was a political dissident and his mother, Valerie, was a member of the state opera. They decided to move to the US in 1974 and settled in Los Angeles. Matasarano's school life was difficult. He was bullied because of his weight and unfamiliar accent. This led to him isolating himself and hanging around his house. He developed an interest in computers and in 1989 enrolled in the DeVry Institute of Technology, taking on a three-year course in electronic engineering. He graduated in 1987 with a degree and opened a business repairing computers. Tension was building between his parents and they were constantly arguing, which affected Matasarani. He developed an anger and attitude problem and perhaps more concerningly, an interest in firearms and weapons. Sometime in 1989, Matasarani met Larry Phillips Jr. at Gold's Gym. The two became friends and bonded over a mutual interest in bodybuilding. He and Phillips went traveling shortly after Phillips running with the law from his real estate scam and started committing petty crimes to fund their trips. During their travels in July 1993, Phillips and Matasarani robbed a first bank armored car in Littleton, Colorado. Later that year in October, the pair rented a brand new red Ford Thunderbird from an airport. They traveled to Glendale, California and were spotted driving from a petrol station at high speeds. Sergeant Ian Grimes pursued them and pulled them over. The pair gave Grimes false stories about the car belonging to Matasarano's sister. However, the sergeant was already aware that the car was a rental and that the story was a lie. He ordered them to exit the car and noticed that both men were armed with Glock 17 pistols. The car was then searched and the police discovered an arsenal of weapons and ammunition, including a Norinico Mac 90 semi-automatic rifle, Colt 45 pistols, 1,649 rounds of 39mm, 967 rounds of 9mm and 357 rounds of .45 ammunition, ski masks, radio scanners, level 3 armour-plated vests, improvised explosives, wigs, gloves, several stolen license plates and $1,620 were also included in the haul. The two were arrested and charged with conspiracy to commit robbery, grand larceny and carrying and concealing a firearm. In the following December, Phillips and Matasarani were sentenced to 99 and 71 days in prison respectively plus 36 days of probation each. They both finished their sentences and were released from jail. The stint in prison 
wasn't to put a halt on the pair's robbery spree for long. On July the 14th, 1995 in Los Angeles, the two robbed a Brinks armoured car and made their getaway in a dark blue Chevrolet Cavalier. They were armed with automatic weapons and shot the armoured car's rear doors open to access the money. Bullets tore through the armour and glass, killing 51-year-old security guard Herman Dwight Cook and injuring the driver, 53-year-old Philippe Cortez. The violent escalation continued and they began robbing banks instead of armoured cars. They stormed a Bank of America branch in Van Nuys, Los Angeles on May 2, 1996. The pair entered the bank armed with automatic weapons and demanded cash. They managed to escape with $755,048. A month later on May the 31st, Phillips and Matasarani robbed another Bank of America branch, escaping with $794,200. The pair, through their violent and prolific robberies, were now widely known as the High Incident Bandits. February the 28th, 1997, a white Chevrolet celebrity pulled up at the Bank of America at 6600 Laurel Canyon Boulevard. Larry Phillips Jr. and Emil Matasarano exited the vehicle at 9.17am shortly after taking phenobarbital, a muscle relaxing drug which was prescribed to Matasarano as an anticonvulsant. They took the drug to combat any nervousness and to calm themselves. The pair walked towards the bank wearing bulletproof body armour and each carrying Chinese-made Noroniko Type 56 Sportster assault rifles. A patrolling police vehicle drove by as the pair made their way to the bank. Officers Lauren Farrell and Martin Perello spotted the armed men and radioed a 211 alert, the code for armed robbery. The police officers positioned themselves between a parked truck as the armed robbers grabbed a man who was depositing cash into one of the bank's ATMs and forced him inside the bank at gunpoint. The pair then opened fire into the bank's interior to intimidate the bank tellers and customers. Outside the bank, Officer Farrell frantically issued a shots fired alert and called for immediate backup to the bank's perimeter. Inside the bank, the two armed robbers were having trouble collecting the cash quickly enough. Due to new security measures, which the pair were unaware of, banks now broke their money down into separate lockboxes to slow down any potential robbers. The Bank of America policy also meant that they heavily varied its cash delivery times. This resulted in a significantly smaller sum of money than Phillips and Matasarano expected. Matasarano angrily fired 75 rounds into a safe, destroying some of the money. A bank manager slipped security die packs into the bags containing the $303,305 which the assailants took and left the bank. During the time Phillips and Matasarano were inside the bank, teams of police officers were surrounding the building. The severely undermanned and underarmed officers were unaware 
that they were about to be the unwilling participants in a brutal live TV drama. Sergeant Larry Hayes and Officer Martin Whitfield were on the northern side. Officer Edward Brettlinger was at the northeastern side. Officer Farrell and Perello were at the southern side, and officers James Foran and Stuart Guy, as well as detectives Tracy Angeles and William Krulak, were situated in the bank's western doorway. At 9.24, Phillips exited the bank and spotted Hayes and Whitfield and three civilians distance around 200 feet away. Phillips raised his assault rifle and opened fire, peppering police cruisers with armor-piercing bullets. The sound of gunfire echoed out throughout Laurel Canyon Boulevard. Civilians ran in all directions as panic set in. Police officers scrambled for cover behind walls, trees and cars. Bullets smashed through shop windows and ricocheted into walls. Phillips sprayed everything in his line of sight with bullets, wounding several insufficiently armed police officers and two civilians. At the time, LAPD officers didn't carry assault rifles and had no weapons anywhere near capable of piercing the armour that the bank robbers were wearing. LAPD officer James Foran, just a couple of months out of the academy, managed to hit Phillips with a shot, grazing him. Phillips turned his gun towards officers and fired. Foran dived across unarmed officers, shielded them with his bulletproof vest, sustaining gunshot wounds in the process. Phillips aimed his gun to the sky and fired at an LAPD helicopter, which had arrived to survey the attack. The surrounding police fired their pistols, but due to his full-body bulletproof armour, it made little difference to Phillips. Officers Foran fired his Ithika Model 37 pump-action shotgun, again not stopping the armour-clad robber. Four SWAT officers arrived at the scene. This prompted Phillips to re-enter the bank. He and Mata Serrano re-emerged shortly afterwards, carrying a large bag containing the stolen money. The three die packs inside the bag exploded, ruining the money and the pair's plan to successfully rob the bank. Phillips and Mata Serrano resorted to their escape plan, opening fire on the police and civilians. Shots hit Officer Guy and Tracy Fisher, a civilian. Officer Whitfield and Sergeant Haynes were also grazed by bullets. A dental office across the street was set up as an emergency room to provide treatment for injured police officers and civilians. The door shattered from gunfire as a wounded officer Voren dived into the building for cover. Dr. Georges Montez, a dentist at the practice, had to improvise and stitch up any wounds and use gauze intended for dental surgery to stem any bleeding, while the deafening blasts of the robber's automatic weapons made the police pistols sound like toys in comparison. The robbers made their way to the getaway vehicle. Mata Serrano was shot in the right buttock and left forearm. In retaliation, Phillips opened fire at a group of police officers who were attempting to flank the two from nearby Archwood Street. Five officers ran to a nearby gun shop and borrowed weapons and ammunition. Mata Serrano abandoned his duffel bag of money, entered the getaway car and started the engine. 
Phillips covered him with a Heckler & Koch M91A3 semi-automatic rifle. The rifle was struck in the magazine by fire from police, rendering it unusable. Phillips was then hit in the shoulder, where the body armour did not cover. Now, one-handed, Phillips tried to fire further shots off before discarding the rifle. He then began to use the Norinico assault rifle, but it jammed. Phillips was also beginning to experience the effects of the phenobarbital, which he ingested shortly before the robbery began, leaving him groggy and lacking coordination. Phillips threw the assault rifle on the ground and took a Beretta Model 92FS semi-automatic pistol from his waist. He began to shoot at police, who returned fire, hitting him in the right hand and causing him to drop the pistol. Phillips picked the pistol up and shot himself upwards through the chin, killing himself instantly. As he fell to the ground, he was struck by further bullets from the police in his torso, which severed his spine. Further down the road, Matasarano was driving the Chevrolet Celebrity on Archwood Street. He made the decision to abandon the car and jack another vehicle, as it had been struck by police bullets and had two flat tyres. Matasarano blocked a red Ford Tempo and fired at the driver who escaped unharmed. Matasarano then spotted a group of cars and confronted a civilian called Bill Maher in a 1963 Jeep Cherokee. Matasarano opened fire and wounded Ma, forcing him to flee on foot. He attempted to enter the house of 69-year-old Dora Lubjensky. She called the police, assuming he was an intruder, leading the police to briefly assume that Ma was the third gunman. In the street, Matasarano spotted SWAT police closing in, so retrieved a Bushmaster Dissipator semi-automatic rifle from the boot of the Chevrolet. He boarded Bill Maher's Jeep Cherokee and tried to start the engine with the keys which were left in the ignition. The Jeep was a manual stick shift, which Matasarano was not used to. This meant the vehicle was useless as Matasarano had no idea how to drive it. He exited the vehicle and hid behind it. The police closed in and surrounded the red Jeep using other vehicles as shields. The SWAT team fired their AR-15 assault rifles at the car for two and a half minutes. They noticed that Matasarano had no armour on his legs, so began to fire under the vehicle. He was hit over 25 times in the legs, flooring him. He lay on the ground prone and surrendered to the approaching authorities. As the officers surrounded him and pulled up the robber's mask, he taunted the police, shouting at them to kill him. News helicopters broadcast his final moments, showing Matasarano lying in the fetal position, breathing heavily. Pools of blood formed around his legs. At 10.01am, he succumbed to the trauma and excessive blood loss caused by two gunshot wounds in his left thigh. An ambulance reached the scene, but it was too late to save Matasarani. The North Hollywood shootout was over, and the entire event had been broadcast live by news helicopters. In 44 minutes, over 300 law enforcement officers from several departments had responded to the city-wide tactical alert. 1,100 rounds were fired by Phillips and Matasarano and 650 by police, approximately one round every two seconds. The events on the 28th of February 1997 changed police procedures forever. 
Due to the use of illegally modified firearms by Phillips and Matasarano, police departments around the US upgraded their arsenals and were now authorised to carry higher calibre semi-automatic pistols. A surplus of over 600 AR-15 rifles was sent to the LAPD and became standard issue firearms. The destruction of the police vehicles by the armed robbers led to bullet-resistant Kevlar plating to be installed on newly built police cruisers. A total of 19 of the police officers involved in the shootout received the Los Angeles Police Medal of Valor for their heroic actions, awarded by President Bill Clinton. However, the attention accumulated by the Los Angeles Police Department was not entirely positive. The police were criticised for not allowing medical attention for Emil Matasarano when he lay prone on the ground, bleeding heavily. The police alleged that it was standard procedure to refuse entry to the hot zone during extreme and dangerous situations. They also alleged that there were suspicions of a third gunman and they feared he would ambush any emergency services. This was under debate when aerial shots of the area show Matasarano unarmed lying on the ground for an hour before ambulances arrived. Matasarano's family filed a lawsuit against the LAPD for intentionally allowing him to bleed to death. It was tried in the United States District Court in February 2000 and ended in a mistrial. The lawsuit was dropped by the Matasarano family shortly afterwards to avoid being countersued for malicious prosecution. In 2017, an investigation by the Los Angeles Times determined that a series of mistakes by the police and the paramedics was responsible for Matasarano's slow death. One officer's account of the events were detailed in a use of force report. A mandatory review prepared for the Los Angeles Police Commission completed every time an officer shoots a gun or uses potentially injurious force. The harrowing narrative describes the first wave of responding officers being cut down by high-caliber rounds. A second wave filed in behind and covered them while injured officers were rescued. Officers fired relentlessly with pistols until SWAT teams arrived with rifles. Retired detective Thomas Colotta recounted the events. He said, I saw my rounds hit his black jacket, and as I shot at him, he kept coming. Was this a dream? I wasn't sure. But as his spectre made eye contact with me, he pointed his weapon and fired right at me. I remember asking God, is this the day death was coming? Thank you for listening. Please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Follow us on social media. Underworld Podcast on Facebook at Underworld Podcast on Twitter. Join us next week for more stories from the Underworld. <laughs>